This morning we're turning to our sermon series through the book of the Acts and we're picking up where we left off two Sundays ago in chapter 21 for the reading of God's Word in verses 1 through 16. Let us ask the Lord whose Spirit breathed out this Word and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture now to breathe upon us afresh and open our minds with spiritual understanding and grant unto us the grace of faith whereby we might receive it as His Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the glorious gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name, we thank you for your word spoken in him and spoken through your spirit preserved for us in Holy Scripture. Now we pray, O Lord, that you would speak, that you would speak your word, that you would open our ears and change our minds and enable us to hear what you say to us personally. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. It is written. And when we, that would be Paul and Luke and other missionary companions, when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to cause and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. On January 8th, 1956, 
five American missionaries who were seeking to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Waroni Indians in an Amazonian jungle in Ecuador were killed, martyred by a group of those Waroni warriors. One of those American missionaries was Jim Elliott. He was not quite 29 years old. His widow, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, later became uh, an important Christian author and speaker, but as a young man, Jim Elliott had written in his journal these words which have become somewhat uh, the epitaph of his life. Young Jim Elliott wrote this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now that sentence is a concise meditation on Jesus' call to discipleship. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to give what he cannot gain. On April 9th, 1945, a Lutheran pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had been accused of participating in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler, was hanged at the Flossenburg prison camp just days before the Americans liberated that camp. He was 39 years old. As he stepped up onto the gallows, he spoke his last words. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. In his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, which I would heartily recommend for your personal reading, Bonhoeffer had written these words, The cross is laid on every Christian. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow Jesus. Or it might be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man at his call. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, but he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, I began with this introduction in order to help us feel the mood, so to speak, to feel what's going on in this passage in Acts 21. If you've been following along and paying attention throughout this entire sermon series, you can sense now that the pace is picking up. Luke is moving the narrative along hurriedly and the tension is building. The Apostle Paul has a sense of urgency about the completion of his missionary task. He plans to go to Rome and from there he wants to go to Spain. But first of all, He must go to Jerusalem. He must go to Jerusalem just as his Lord Jesus Christ went to Jerusalem. Two weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan gave us good biblical instruction from Acts 20 about the role of elders as shepherds of the church. And that was based on the Apostle Paul's farewell address to the elders of Ephesus, recorded there in Acts 20. And, and Acts 20, Paul, in Paul's speech there, is, it's moving, it is instructional, it is exhortational, and it's heart-rending. Acts 20 concludes by saying that the Ephesian elders were sorrowful and there was much weeping because Paul told them that they would never see his face again. Right here, everybody, right here. In that farewell speech, Paul told them, Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Listen to these words again. I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus That is, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It sounds as though the Apostle Paul had heard the voice of Jesus say, whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Well, now, chapter 21 begins with a travelogue highlighting Paul's journey by boat from Miletus on the western coast of Turkey, sailing through the Mediterranean down to the city of Tyre on the northeast coast of Syria. Oh, probably a little more than 100, 120 miles northeast of Jerusalem. 
And Paul and his companions found some disciples there, followers of Jesus, in the city of Tyre, and they stayed with him seven days. And Luke tells us, in verse 4, that through the Spirit, they, those disciples in Tyre, those Christians in Tyre, were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, this is very interesting. We just read in Acts 20 that the Apostle Paul had said, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. And now, in Acts 21, the disciples in Tyre, through the Spirit, were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So what do we make of this? Well, actually, I don't think that this is as much of a conundrum as it's sometimes made out to be. I think that the resolution of this apparent, apparent, contradiction is found right in this passage in the next paragraph. You see, from Tyre, Paul and Luke then made their way southward down the coast to Caesarea, a little closer to Jerusalem. They're on their way to Jerusalem. And there in Caesarea, a Christian prophet named Agabus gave a prophecy concerning Paul. Agabus, by the way, was the same prophet who had prophesied years before, had prophesied a famine throughout the Roman Empire. And that's recorded in Acts 11. Well, here he appears again. And in the manner of Old Testament prophets such as Jeremiah and Isaiah, Agabus enacted a symbolic prophecy. He took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Oh, it was a very dramatic and disturbing prophecy. Bound hand and foot, Paul would be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, that is, to the Roman authorities. You know, it also sounded strikingly reminiscent, does it not? of what had happened to Jesus himself. Well, then Luke tells us, when we, well, that would be Luke himself and Paul's other missionary companions, Timothy, when we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Well, so there you have Paul's closest companions urging him not to go to Jerusalem even though they knew that the Holy Spirit had compelled him to do so and had just given a prophecy that he would do so. Well, you see, I think, I think something similar was happening back in Tyre when the disciples there, through the Spirit, were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. The Spirit had revealed to them what would take place to Paul, to, what would take place when Paul went to Jerusalem, and they just simply couldn't bear to see it happen. no. We don't want that to happen to you. Don't go. Well, now, on this later occasion, Agabus prophesied what would happen to Paul in Jerusalem. And even Luke himself urged Paul not to go. So, do you see in this passage, we, we have a very real human drama, very real human feelings and fears and griefs in the lives of these believers. They did not want Paul to suffer or be killed in Jerusalem. 
Well, this is very reminiscent, isn't it? of Peter's reaction to Jesus' own prophecy about what would happen to himself in Jerusalem. You remember, after Peter's great confession of faith, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. At that point, Jesus began to teach his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of men. So, just as Peter tried to dissuade Jesus from going to Jerusalem to fulfill his mission, Now, in this case, Paul's friends were seeking to persuade him not to go to Jerusalem, even though they knew that Paul was compelled by the Spirit to go there. And look at Paul's response, verse 13. What are you doing? What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. We ought to hear the very real human emotion, personal, spiritual struggle in Paul's words. What are you doing? weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. But he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see, it was this this kind of abandonment to Jesus. The giving over of one's whole being to Jesus is what the Apostle Paul was living out as he kept his commitment and fulfilled his calling to testify to the grace of God in Jerusalem. Now, let's think about this passage in light of the story of the Apostle Paul's life. You remember, before Jesus Christ appeared to him from heaven on that road to Damascus, young Saul of Tarsus was a a man who had everything in this world going for him. He tells us about all of that in his autobiographical section in Philippians chapter 3. He was a rising rock star in first century Judaism. He was on the way up. And he threw it all away as a piece of trash when Jesus revealed himself to him. In that autobiographical passage in Philippians 3, which Paul wrote after this passage took place, Paul wrote what essentially he had said to the Ephesian elders. Listen. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss 
for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Apostle Paul was a man who had been captivated by Jesus Christ, called by Jesus Christ, commissioned by Jesus Christ, and compelled by Jesus Christ. He had seen Jesus risen from the dead. He had seen the heavenly glory glory of the conqueror of death. And this great conqueror of death, Jesus Christ, had given to Paul grace and mercy. Grace and mercy poured out upon the greatest of sinners through the shameful death of Jesus on the cross. And so whenever the Apostle Paul preached the gospel of Christ, he was always personally aware that he was preaching the gospel of salvation which he himself had experienced. Whenever he preached the gospel, he was testifying to the gospel of the grace of God which he had himself had received through faith in Jesus Christ. And and so he wrote to the Galatians, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. You can't get any more personal than that. And to Timothy he wrote, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. You can't get any more personal than that. It was this love for Christ in response to Christ's love for him which compelled Paul to fulfill his calling, to fulfill his missionary task by going to Jerusalem, even if that meant he would suffer persecution, imprisonment, and death. He had found the great, the pearl of great price in Jesus Christ. And he was willing to give up everything else, even his own life, in order to know Christ, to serve Christ, and to glorify Christ even by his own death. As he said to the elders in Ephesus, I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's all he wanted to do. He was a man compelled by the love of Christ to fight the good fight, to finish the race, and to keep the faith to the end. And he did so in the assurance that the Lord would award to him the crown of righteousness, the crown of eternal life. He was willing to go to Jerusalem even if it meant suffering because he knew that The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed to us. Romans 8, 18. He was willing even to die because he knew that to die is gain. And to depart and be with Christ is far better. Philippians 1. In the face of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, Paul had seen eternal life. Paul had seen immortality. Paul had seen the glory of the resurrection. And there was nothing in this world, neither suffering nor the threat of death, which could stop him from finishing his course 
and the ministry that he had received from the Lord Jesus, that is, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, I want to make a few applications to us today. First, can you, in the words of the Apostle Paul, say that you do not account your life of any value nor as precious to yourself, if only you may finish your course. And the ministry that you received from the Lord Jesus that is, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's your calling, too. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God in your own life. To the end. Now, none of us is of the same status as the Apostle Paul. None of us has an apostolic commission. But... The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And each one of us, if we are true Christians, each one of us in our own time, in our own place, in our own circumstances, in our own way, each one of us is called to imitate Paul and therefore follow Jesus to finish the course and to fulfill the ministry which the Lord Jesus has given to each one of us, which is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's your ministry. That's your calling. In whatever situation the Lord has placed you in today in your own life, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God to the end. Is that what keeps you going? Is that what matters to you? Is it your aspiration? Is it the personal goal of your life to be able to say in the words of the Apostle Paul as you lay on your deathbed, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. More to the point, if today were the day of your death, which it very well might be, would you be able to say that today? And with regard to being persecuted and suffering for Christ's sake, I, I know that we have not experienced violent persecution in the United States. Well, it's beginning to happen with the uh, bombing of pregnancy life centers, etc. But, but uh, <clears throat> a nonviolent persecution, do you understand, is now upon faithful Christians in America. It's here. And unless there is another great awakening and a true revival and thoroughgoing reformation in America, more persecution may likely be coming, most likely in the form of uh, economic penalties for not submitting to the demonic dictates of the government 
or uh, the corporations for which we work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Social marginalization, political bullying, news media slander, etc. It's happening. It's happening already. But the question is, are we, for the sake of Christ, are we prepared to suffer the loss of all things because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord? Are we? Are we willing to suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him? Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me on that day, I will be ashamed of him on that day of judgment. Well, there's another application as well, and I want this to be a word of comfort and encouragement to you, to all of you, and to many of you in particular. And admittedly, this is a little bit beyond the scope of this passage, but it is relevant nevertheless. There is also suffering in this world which is not the result of anti-Christian persecution. It is the suffering which we all are subject to simply because we live in a fallen world. And this, if we might call it natural suffering, this too can be a suffering for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the gospel. If in the midst of it and through it and even by it, we testify to the gospel of the grace of God in it. So some of you are suffering as you face and deal with serious chronic illness, cancer, and everything that goes along with that, including treatments that you'd really rather not have to go through because they are going to bring suffering into your life and into the lives of your loved ones. Others of you are suffering debilitating disabilities which have brought real disappointment into your life. Others of you are caring for a spouse or a child or a parent who is seriously ill afflicted or disabled. Others of you may be suffering as you have to deal with really bad, complicated relational problems in your family. It's grievous. Others of you are suffering lifelong grief because you've suffered the tragic loss of loved ones without any possibility of real resolution of that loss in this world. Now, dearly beloved, that kind of suffering can be a suffering for Jesus and for the sake of his gospel if in it 
and by it and through it, you fulfilled your ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace of God in the midst of that suffering. Dearly beloved, God calls you in your suffering to follow Jesus, to finish your course, to fulfill the ministry that He has given you, namely to testify to the gospel of the grace of God in the midst of your suffering all the way to the end. When God calls us into suffering of whatever kind, He is calling us to testify to the gospel of the grace of God and the power and the love of Jesus in our lives, even in the midst of and through that suffering all the way to the end. And many of you are doing that right now. And your testimony to the gospel of the grace of God in the midst of your suffering is a great encouragement to us all. And all of us, in one way or another, are called to imitate Paul as he imitated Jesus. Pressing on to finish the course. Pressing on to fulfill the ministry which he's given to us testifying to the gospel of the grace of God even in and through our suffering until that day when all our suffering is redeemed and transformed into glory through the victory which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of grace in your Son, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us and who now stands as our living Savior and our eternal mediator so that we may have that assurance that in him we have life and life eternal, that there is nothing in all creation not even death, which can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus our Lord, whose name we pray, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed, which is based on Philippians chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus Though he was in the form of God, did not count the quality of God a thing to be grasped, but made himself money, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.